I'm Libby Rothschild, former clinical dietitian who transformed into a full-time virtual business owner. It was only one year ago when I made $55,000 a year in my clinical job. And now I make $100,000 a month being my own boss. And you can do this too. My clients, who are all female dietitians and students, started from zero and created six-figure, multi-six-figure businesses by following my proven method. And they've all been guests on air. My proven method shows you how to attract cash paying clients using social media marketing strategies that work. You don't have to guess, waste time, or hold yourself back when you follow my step-by-step method. Joe Leach is an Australian dietitian living in Europe. His nutrition consulting company, Diet vs. Disease, earned over USD $1 million in 2020. You can find him on Instagram at Joe underscore Leech, that's L-E-E-C-H, or visit his website, dietfirstdisease.org. Beware, though, if you do that, his ads will follow you around the internet. Welcome to today's episode, Joe. Really excited to have you here and share your story. Outside of that quick bio to introduce you, can you chat a little bit about your overall experience or give us some more background about you? Because I know that you've grown a practice where you've seen over 400 clients in 2020, which is incredible, caught my attention and and made me want to have you share your story on air. I'd like you to chat about that. But before we talk about that, is there anything else that you, any background you want to share with us about your journey? I worked as a dietitian for like the government, like in the public sector for a year. Mm -hmm. Then I went to private and I worked for a year doing remote it was kind of fly in fly out this is in in darwin in australia so like very remote we service aboriginal communities that's the point of this is that's where i learned uh, more clinical uh, dietetics i guess you could say after doing just about two years i knew i wanted to be the boss yeah basically i just wanted things on my terms i think it's just selfish you know i was 20 three or something. I wanted to travel around. I I visited my sister. She lived in Paris at the time. And I had to make a rushed trip because I had to go back to work, obviously. And then some flights changed and I had to explain to my boss. And I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. It doesn't need to be like this. And so I kind of knew I wanted to work for myself after that short period of time. I entered a writing competition, super random. Uh, It was like medical nutrition writing I won this competition. There was probably like two entries, to be honest. So I got flown to a conference, Medical Writers Association. This is where I learned. This is 2012, mind you. Okay. Okay. This is where I learned you could make money online. No one told me that. Yeah, it was kind of early days, I suppose. Not really, but in our industry, it was like unheard of. And it was like, hey, these people are like writing for magazines and websites online and uh, I was like you can kind of work for yourself or you can move around and have a job as well and that's what led me into doing what I do now yeah great background so I want to go a little deeper with the clinical talk to us about did you enjoy the clinical work itself outside of you know feeling imprisoned in the sense that you couldn't travel or if you had perhaps a plane mishap that you had to go explain yourself which is obviously (laughs) annoying So thank you for sharing that. What about the actual clinical work? Did you enjoy that? Did you learn from it? Did it kind of float your boat? Yes and no. I mean, I'm sure you know, and and I'm going to assume that you're a client. 
maybe is a bit frustrated with it because, you know, you get referrals for low albumin and, <laughs> and uh, you know, on the orthopedic ward and I'm feeling kind of useless there. But then we did, you know, chronic kidney disease where I felt useful. In Australia, we help with the parenteral nutrition and enteral. That was kind of useful. Gut health and digestive issues. So this is where I really felt I knew more than everyone else. Yeah. Where the doctors might actually value my input because the low FODMAP diet, these things that were coming out of Australia at that time, I think it was 2008 to 2012, like really where Monash were publishing a lot of research. And that was an area that, we could dabble in uh, where I actually felt, uh, yeah, the the expert and all the other, a lot of the other areas, particularly in the hospital setting, were just very uh, frustrating or unfulfilling. So let's just quantify this, Joe. Just humor me. If you're saying that you were useful with the doctors, but you've mentioned a few other things, you know, chronic kidney and blood maps, gut health, et cetera, what percentage of the time did you feel useful in clinical And then I want to juxtapose that with what percentage of the time you feel useful now in your business being your own boss. Hmm. I've never thought about that. I'd say 20% useful in clinical and and now, of course, well, 100%. Beautiful. Well, there there you go. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. So that's a great segue into what you do now. So thanks for the background. We've gotten to know that uh, you were on the cutting edge with becoming your own boss and having that be something in the forefront several years ago, which motivated you. Can you talk about, I know you did the medical writing. How did you segue to creating what you have now? Like how, how did that happen? Was it a side thing? When did it blow up? And then can you talk a little bit about the success you've had in 2020 and and the amazing team you've assembled, which is really inspiring? Yeah. So to connect the dots uh, and try to do it quickly, 2013 through to 15, was freelancing, you know, it was more backpacking and just traveling around, but I was trying to subsidize my expenses and writing for magazines and online websites. Then I started writing for Authority Nutrition, who were later acquired by Healthline, but they taught me everything about writing for uh, SEO, which is search engine optimization. That's where I started to learn about marketing writing for, you know, Google to show us in the search results, learning that, hey, don't, if you're doing a blog or something, don't write about what you want to write about because no one cares what you want to write about. You must write about what people want to read about, what they are looking for, answer their questions. You know, that's what Food Babe and, you know, all these other people who, like, that's why people read them because they understand that. And and for us, you know, people were doing it wrong. So I was, I kind of learned all about that transitioned out of that at the end of 2018 where I was kind of writing I started my own website I probably should mention diet vs disease diet vs disease dot org yeah I had a lot of traffic I used to just sell ad space it's a really bad way to monetize and make a living but you know people would read the article and you show someone's ad and that was it that got up to almost two million readers a month from what I had learned that's so Joe. yeah that's it's, it's Wow. It's a, it was a lot. The thing is, the thing that annoys me, Libby, was I wasn't monetizing it at all. I used to sell like a meal plan, right? So, but that's, if you're going to go online and do this, you've got to sell consulting. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that, but we can also talk about low price products. If you want, I have a lot of experience, what to do, what not to do. Yeah. So I was selling that because I had all these readers 
uh, eventually got penalized by Google, uh, not for doing anything wrong. They just, they're trying to, basically they just show Healthline, WebMD and these uh, reputable sources and they, they will show less the, the smaller websites. So it was like, wow, this, you know, I went from basically having a great time to like rock bottom literally overnight when they changed the algorithm. That was in 2018. I hadn't done any consulting, mind you, since 2012. So I was writing a lot. So I wasn't rusty in my knowledge, but absolutely was rusty in my consulting skills. At the end of 2018, I invested in like a consulting program to learn about that. And then, yeah, two years on is this month. And yeah, this year we did a million dollars collected. Absolutely incredible. So let's unpack that a little bit. So you, just as a recap, you did some writing on the side, you uh, mastered SEO for your website, and then you got help with consulting and then grew into a million dollar business within just a couple of years. Yeah, I, I worked probably 60 hours a week for two years. <laughs> so let's, let's talk a little bit about that process of how you got to 400 clients this past year in a million dollar mm-hmm. business. Was that a goal of yours? Did it happen faster than you thought? Let's just unpack a little bit about how you did that. I'm assuming that the consulting service that you purchased kind of springboarded that, or is this where you want to come in and talk a little bit about low ticket versus high ticket? No, so it was the consulting service that... I didn't know you could do online dietetics. Like, you know, you have to be taught, someone has to tell you things, otherwise you don't know. And that's, this is a lot about limiting beliefs. This is why coaching, like working with Libby, for example, is so important because you will immediately learn things that you didn't know and then they become possible. And until you know, then you don't even consider that concept. So I learned like, okay, this is how you do online consulting. I was kind of forced, right? Like I, my life was fine. I was getting traffic for free from Google. And then literally that business was like shut down and it was like, all right, well, you either adapt or you fade into the oblivion, right? This is kind of just business. So bought this consulting program, which was just about online consulting. It wasn't specific to dietetics or health or anything. It was just like, how can you run an online consulting business? And kind of, it went from there. What was the next question? Yeah. So in the consulting business, I just wanted to break down a little bit in the last two years. So how did you go from taking the consulting program to then creating a million dollar business? Because that's no easy feat. So Hmm. did you have a lot of strategy with that? I know you said you worked 60 hours a week. Did you imagine it would become as big as it has today? Did the traffic come like mostly from where did you get your clients over the last couple of years? Like if you could just unpack a little bit about how you got here more specifically. Yeah, where to start. So, okay, when I went into it, no, I didn't have a goal in terms of a revenue goal or a number of people I would help. But then shortly after, being in coaching programs, seeing what was possible, then I was like, well, hang on a minute. Why can't I have a million-dollar business? Absolutely. I can have a million dollar business by the end of the year. This is what I thought at the time, because you'll never get there as fast as you think. You know, I mean, for the, of course, there's, there's exceptions, but you know, did I, it took me two years, but that was longer than I thought it would. That was probably twice as long as I, I thought it would, but you know, I didn't really have 
that was just kind of my goal. I didn't, you know, reverse engineer. And I, I sort of did that in the second year. The first year I just was a bit ambitious, I think. But, but yeah, and then in terms of how, like how? Well, to start, I had an e- a small email list. So I went to them first and then there's so many things we can unpack here, but like I, I was charging, you know, the first people I sold to, like I didn't know what I was doing. The first people I sold to, I sold for like a really low price. Like it wasn't even like a few hundred dollars. And the consulting I sold was forever. <laughs> so it had no, it had no end date, which uh, I'm sure that will tell you, but please make it a, a finite amount of time. But that was also like, I was starting, I wasn't confident to sell my program that I just started. So you have to, that comes with time as well. So it started with, with e- like email subscribers, but also had some social media followers, albeit smaller, I suppose. And then I learned some strategies to go out and get clients. And that includes organic. Yes, of course, organic meaning you didn't pay to get in front of people. You just kind of put yourself out there or you put in the time. And then to get to a million, you could do it organic. I think you don't even need to be a big, obviously it's very easy if you're, you know, a Kardashian or something, but not easy, but it's easier. But you could definitely do it organic, but I use paid traffic as well. Okay. So then the paid traffic and organic, when you say organic, can you break that down more specifically? Would you say, if you know, is it from, I know you do YouTube, is it from Instagram, combination, Facebook? Uh, what organic avenue would you say has been uh, the most lucrative or that you could maybe identify that you've gotten a majority of their, your traffic from? You like this one, the gram for sure. Instagram, Instagram. I mean, at the time we're talking and recording this, like Instagram. So YouTube, actually I haven't done my YouTube. I haven't made YouTube content for years. Uh, I do actually believe YouTube is superior to all of them because of, of uh, user intent. That's another topic. The Facebook page, you know, the reach, you don't get much reach as a page. There's lots of organic strategies you could do as a Facebook profile within groups and things like that. And, and nothing shady. I mean, like legit, just providing value. Instagram though, in terms of being able to be shared and found and the messaging capabilities, Instagram for us is probably provides the most organic clients. And I don't even do that very well at all. So like we just scratched the surface so yeah, I have a lot of things planned as well. But and then paid. Did you ask about paid? But paid is essentially you can do YouTube ads. You know, you appear in the five second thing that's skippable. You can do AdWords. So depending on your, that very much depends on your niche and how specific you are. If you just have a weight loss offer, you'll never ever be able to afford to advertise there because you're competing with fifty thousand supplement companies for that ad space. But if your offer is very specific, then you absolutely that's a good way to go. It's more technical, but if I had the students or something, I would absolutely teach them that depending on their offer. Yep. And then Facebook ads to, how can I forget? Yeah. So ads and then the many avenues within ads and ads mm-hmm. work better when you have a more specific niche. And just for uh, to reiterate to the audience, you do low FODMAPs, right? Your company helps people with gut issues. So I just want to put that out there. That is a great specific in-demand niche do you feel that uh, specializing in that and using that on Instagram specifically has helped you reach more people because you stand out from other dietitians that might do a mixed bag of things? 
So funny story. When I started, I was doing weight loss. Yeah. You know what? I was kind of doing a little bit of whatever. I had some readers for underactive thyroid. I had gut health and bowel, certain bowel diseases, etc. So I was kind of doing a little bit of all. And guess what? It sounds like a good idea, right? Well, if I just cater to everyone, then there's more people. I have more chances to get clients. I'll make more money. Like, duh. No, that is absolutely not how it works. And I don't know how, I'm sure you probably, I hope you teach this, Libby, but you need to go real narrow in one specific area. Get clients there. Yes, you're going to disqualify people. That's fine because you qualify people as well when you do that. And then if that's going really well for you and you've got systems in place and you want to expand, then you can start to expand and go wider. But absolutely start, absolutely start with one. You're going to save you. It sounds counterintuitive. You will save yourself time and, and heartache and you will make more. Just think if you were that client and you had that specific issue, like, are you going to go to the person who specializes in all these different things or the, the one person who just specializes in that? And that's all their messaging is. What it does is it gives you a little bit of a higher perceived value because you might be competing with someone who has loads of testimonial videos and that is very powerful. And, you know, if you're trying to compete with them just on that level, then the prospect is going to choose them. However, if that prospect has, you know, yeah, kidney disease and you're just specializing in kidney disease, that actually is a higher perceived value than the person who, who does everything and has testimonial videos of all sorts of things. Thank you for the reflection, Joe. And, and at your level too, what I'm hearing, because I just do organic, so I don't touch into ads. Uh, that's not part of what I teach or what I do yet. I, I would like to get into ads for, for my business in the future. But what I love from what you're saying is, specializing hasn't only helped you for organic, specifically Instagram, because you've said that's where you get the majority of people in an organic avenue, but it also significantly helps when it comes to paid ads and, the, and all of the options that you have ranging from you know YouTube to Facebook. So you're saying that specializing helps you leverage the multiple ways where you can get clients both from paid ads and organic. Yeah, so not only does specializing, it's better when you start, but if you actually want to scale and, and go, you know, big, a million dollars plus, you have to pay for traffic. You have to pay for eyeballs. You will run out of organic reach. Now, to do that, you have to be very narrow and specific again. So it circles back to where you started because, you know, paid traffic is like now you've got to be good at what you do. You've got to have systems in place because now you, otherwise you're going to throw money away. Your messaging has to be good. So when I, you know, picture like you're watching a YouTube video about health and you have, let's go with uh, a bowel, let's go with diverticular disease, which is a lot of my clients. Yep. If they're watching his ads about nutrition or something and then my ad comes up and I'm like, diverticular disease is awful, but it doesn't have to be that way. That person will not press skip if they have that and they have that issue. And now I'm calling them out, but I'm able to do that because I'm very uh, specific who I'm targeting. So you have to, if you're trying to talk to everyone, you are talking to no one. Thank you for sharing that. Great example and relevant for also what you do. So that's a great example. Okay, so I wanna talk a little bit more. Um, this has been really helpful to unpack 
how you've been able to kind of like high level overview of how you've gotten to where you are. But I want to go a little deeper into your business, your team, and your goals. So serving 400 clients is significant. Can you talk about any of, I guess you talked about your motivation. So talk a little bit about your team, your structure, the dynamics, your goals, anything you're willing to share for the listeners who, again, back to what we spoke about earlier, they don't think it's possible. They can't imagine a million dollar business, especially online. And what I love about you, Joe, is that you have a business to consumer business, right? So where I have, you know, I'm helping clients business to business, you're, you're actually helping clients with anything dietetic related. So can you discuss the dynamics of your company, your team, and the future of what you're doing? So at this stage, we are, well, I'm trialing a couple of people, but essentially 15 team members of which about half are full time. Because as you can imagine, like, let's go back to how did I progress? So I did everything in the start, right? So I was coaching the client. I was doing the lead gen. I was doing the marketing. I was doing the sales calls. I mean, I don't want to go on a tangent, but like you have to learn sales. Sales is, is the most important skill you'll, you'll have, whether you stay in the business, like just being able to sell ideas, concepts, sell anything in your life. Oh my goodness. Learn sales. Even I don't like sales. I hate sales. I hate being salesy. I hate seeing people, you know, people who who are uh, fundraise and like they stand on the corner or they stand in the shopping mall. And it's just like the thought of that makes me awkward and I feel uncomfortable. That's how much I hate sales. And yet I just learned sales and now I really like sales. <laughs> so let's, let's take a moment to unpack that. What helped you go from re- being repelled towards the concept of sales to then uh, knowing that it's the cornerstone of your business? Was it the fact that it was do or die? If you wanted to get to the next level, you had to get better. Like what, what helped you kind of get there? Mm, my product and service is the best. And if they don't do this, where are they going to go? They're going to go to the doctor who's going to tell them to go Google it. They're going to end up in circles or they're going to work with uh, you know, a quirky naturopath who's going to tell them to do all this funky stuff. Do you have a story? Yeah. It sounds like overall you have reflected on the fact that sales is do or die. Was there a certain moment where your skills, where it was highlighted to you that you had to, to focus on them? Or has it just been time in the company where you've realized that this is an, an avenue you cannot skip and that you have to double down on? Well, I think it's just part of in building a business. You, that that's the most important. Well, people that's will the, argue, Joe. People will say operations is most important. Marketing is most important. So, I mean, the verdict is out as far as what the most important aspect of growing a million-dollar company is. So, I mean, I'm Yeah, sure. like all those different organizations or parts within the company are obviously fundamental. Like you need them. But if, I, if we had to quantify, well, what will make the business grow if we fine-tune and optimize one of these departments, what will make it grow the fastest in terms of new clients and revenue? Well, it's the sales team. So therefore, sales is absolutely most important. If you stop getting sales and the business dies, you know, like the reality is fulfillment, actually providing the service and product is, is not as important uh, as sales. Of course, it's very important in the long run. If you have a bad product, then you're not going to get anywhere because people are going to talk. But Sales is the sales is the most important. Uh, if you believe in your product, you will start to. It's not even like it's not. It's manipulating if what you're selling you don't believe in. It's persuading if what you're selling you you do believe in, and it's just knowing that the alternative 
there is no alternative or the alternative is, is poor and you're doing them a disservice. If you don't want to sell properly because you feel uncomfortable about that, then that's your ego in the way, getting in the way of them getting a result. You need to take a look at yourself in the mirror and, and get over yourself and sell them the solution if you have. I love that, Joe. And uh, the sooner that we can all get over ourselves, the better, right? The sooner. The yes, better. show your face. Exactly. That's what I love about what you do. Like get over yourselves and provide value and show up and show your face. Absolutely. hundred percent. I love that. And I will say that it's no surprise to me that somebody in your position would uh, say sales is the most important because if we were to get my operating manager on here, she would argue and say, no, <laughs> it's not sales, right? So we could argue about that for an hour, but I, I totally, I feel the same way as you do. So I'm with you on sales being really important and, and the priority that you need to focus on to have the business grow and, and have your, your attitude really support that. So anything else in, in talking about the company that you've created, which is tremendous. And I'm, I'm really happy to hear your story here. You have a team and you're serving 400 clients. What else, any other kind of issues, difficulties that you want to express to us or anything about how do you keep everybody accountable? Anything you want to share about where you're at right now because you got here in a couple of years and that's that's really mm. fast. And there are not many um, people that are running million-dollar international online nutrition companies, consulting services. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Not, not, not that many dietitians. There are some nutritionists doing it. But mm. you, are, you are in the minority here, which is really exciting. I think there should be loads of dietitians. The fact that they're not is, is a worry, but maybe this is times are changing. So, I mean, to circle back to the, the original question I just remembered. So it was like, I yeah, I've got some full-time members. They kind of look like the, the dietitians who fulfill, you know, fulfilling the service, sales team. And I have a messenger team for lead generation. Now, I'm not sure how, how you work to be, but, you know, so the people who are like in the inbox and things, um, having conversations with people and, and helping us book calls. So there's kind of those, the three departments, I suppose. And then I have like an admin customer service type, type uh, role as well. But those are the things that I kind of, in terms of like when, so when you, when you scale, like when I started, I just did everything and then it was like, okay, well, what's the least important thing for me? It was messaging to get people to book calls. So I hired for that and kind of moved myself away from that. Then it was the fulfillment or the coaching, which I, I like, I do enjoy doing that and I am good at it. And of course, that's how we all we all start. We want to help people. I bet everyone listening here studied what they study because they want to help people. So do I. Had to move myself out of that to focus. If you want to grow the business, you can't wear all the hats. You will absolutely want to blow your brains out, basically, if you try to do everything. <laughs> so. This is so helpful. I love that you're unpacking this. I can promise you that my clients, my high-earning clients, they don't get this. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to having you continue to tell the story, meaning... When you're saying you have to pull out to scale your business, people don't want to. They want to stay in fulfillment. They want to do all the things. Did you experience that? Was it difficult for you to let go? Because I don't know about you or what you've seen, but a lot of my clients don't want to let go. They want to continue to do all the things that if they were to outsource or delegate, they'd be able to grow faster. Did you experience that personally? Or were you like, nope, I'm ready to... <laughs> ready no, to I was done. Over. I yeah. was done. I was, you know, I think I had 
50 clients at a time for a while and it was exhausting and I wanted to grow. Uh, so you can either, if you're happy, you know, at 10K, I mean, I think I was probably doing 20K a month or something on my own. Uh, and like, of course, that's like, that's awesome, obviously. And if you're absolutely happy there and your, your work-life balance is awesome, you feel fulfilled, like stay there and do that. That is, that is amazing. That is 100%. But I want to turn a million dollars in the year. And to do that, I had to focus on sales and, and then marketing. Obviously, now we've paid traveling's marketing. And so I, you know, if you, like I said before, the most important, like I had to put my time where the most important things were that will move the needle. And the coaching fulfillment side is absolutely not it. So I moved myself out of that second. Great. And then what after that? So you removed yourself from the messaging removed yourself from fulfillment and then was it like sales is that kind of the the order okay i'm i'm just guessing but uh. yeah so i've always done the marketing i think we've even spoken about this so i was like you know i want to hire a marketer but that's the one i i don't quite understand how to hire correctly for that yet because i'm not sure i have the the procedures in place to to explain that to someone so i'm still doing the marketing not the not posting and stuff but kind of the the overall strategy, right? Content strategy, I guess you can call it. So I'm still doing that. And the sales I've moved myself away from. Also. And that, that's a game changer. Because to do that is very difficult. It obviously takes a lot of time because you can't really, you can't just give it to someone and then hope. You kind of really need to hold someone's hand and, and teach them that process. But doing that now has allowed me to think about yeah, the, the overall marketing strategy and hi- and then hiring and that stuff takes a long time. Anyway, that's that's another topic. That's another podcast episode. Yeah. So as we, as we wrap up today, I want to ask just a couple quick things. Firstly, when it comes to sales, do you manage that process and your team? Are you overseeing that the people that you have replacing you are doing a, an adequate job up to your standards? What do you mean by manage the process? So if you have people that are selling for you, Who's over observing them? Who's making sure they're getting the job done and looking at their metrics and all that kind of stuff? Do you have a sales manager or are you the sales manager? Oh yeah. Okay. No, I'm, I'm the sales manager. So only recently do I have the dietitian manager. So once we were, you know, I feel, what was a book? Is it discipline equals freedom? I think, which is like Jocko Willink. And he, he's basically Navy SEALs and they talk about all these things related to being a Navy SEAL but how it reflects on business and they Uh teach business consulting. Uh And they say that efficiently for their units to operate, actually it can only be like three or four people and then actually up to six I think it was, but then you need a superior or a senior to manage that team. The team cannot be bigger than that. You can't have one managing 20 or 30 people. Then it starts to break. So you need these small teams. So it was fine me being the head of every department this this is why you work all the time if you want to grow a business because you have to transition out i think apparently eventually you work less i'm still waiting for that but anyway so i've just i'm no longer the head dietitian you could say because now we have so many that we have one who's the most uh, senior and then i i'm not the head of marketing or my lead gen team uh, the messenger team sorry i do the marketing the messenger team i have like two two heads there because of the time difference 
FYI, do not recommend doing a global servicing all people business unless you're ready to work all hours. I would absolutely focus on one time zone or one continent. That's something I, I wish I had changed when I started. But anyway, so I have two, two for that. And then sales, I'm still the head sales person just because I don't have a big enough I have two uh, full-time salespeople and we're trialing three more just to see. I don't plan to hire the three, but maybe when we're a team of four or so, we could move someone into that role. And then it would be, yeah, I mean, I guess where you're going is like, how's the training look? Yeah, I speak with I speak with departments every week, like constantly training all the time. Yep. Yes. Yeah, I know we recently talked about that. So where's what's the future of the company? Where do you, How big do you want to grow it? What impact do you want to make? I mean, considering how, how big you are now and how many clients you've served, is that something you're still kind of working out or do you have it, something quantifiable? I don't know where to stop or like, you know, I thought when I, it's probably the same for you. When I started, like the thought of, hey, 10K a month, like, wow, wow, you know, and then you do it and then you're like, oh, well, okay, great. Let's let's go for fifty. I don't know, and because but you start to have systems in place and it's a process. But you start to see how that's possible, and then it got to a hundred, and now we've done a million this year. So then I'm, you know, the worrying thing is it's like, oh, is that as was it as fulfilling as you thought? And this is another topic as well, <laughs> and that I'm I'm not sure. But all I know is, well, you can't make a smaller goal, so you have to make a bigger one. And remember, we, I focus on the revenue or cash, but the reality is the more money you're making, the more people you're helping. And, and yeah. the money really is just a byproduct of you providing value. That's 100% true. I didn't know if I believe that, but now that I'm kind of here in this spot, I'm like, yeah, we, we help a lot of people. So that's really awesome. But hitting the money goals for me, it's like, mm, I don't know if that's, been 100% fulfilling as I thought it might be. I think mean, you get to a point. But anyway, I do have, I've been thinking about a money goal. I think we we talked about it as well, but probably to 3x because now I'm thinking a bit more logically and what's actually possible with with the systems in place. You can't, you can't keep growing. Things break actually and you need to kind of pause, hire, fix things, optimize, then you can grow again as you probably know. So I think 3x what we're doing now is 100% achievable if I do things correct and things kind of go the right way uh, for us. So that's kind of like, but I think in quarters, I don't know about you, but I, I really like Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, because you can set a three-month goal. It goes very quick. You can reverse engineer that to monthly, to weekly, what things do I need to do each week and get real clarity on each step you need to take. And if you feel overwhelmed, you feel overwhelmed, all it means is that you've, you've not got clarity on what you need to do to move move the needle forward. So you need to really pick out those few tasks uh, each day or each week that are most important and, and just focus on those. That will help you get clarity to move forward as fast as possible and not feel overwhelmed with everything. Really helpful. I would also argue that quarterly goals to me are only relevant if you have an annual goal. So I like to break it down to what's the overarching theme, let's say for 2021, and then reverse engineer each quarter so that you you have something that you can, if we were to look at a pie chart, right? So it's like each quarter is split into a different category. And then the, the overall goal is the pie chart. And then each quarter kind of ticks off as you progress so that you, you know you're making progress, but it's 
for the overall theme of mm. the year. So the quarterly goals are great if you know exactly where you're going and then you can measure that. In my opinion, that's, that's been my experience. And that's how I function with my team because I like to think really big. It motivates me uh, to think in terms of the end of the year, five years. I mean, you can't, it's hard to think too big, right? Because you, you have to leave a lot of wiggle room. But the quarterly goal setting is really helpful but for me in context of the larger overall goal. Like you said, 3X, right? That yeah, yeah I think that's... And then the quarterly goals, are they supporting the 3X goal? Yeah, well, that's what I need to iron out. So I've kind of like got the numbers in my head about, well, what will we need to be each quarter and month? But then it's like, what are the actionable steps I need to take to to make that reality each quarter? You know, how many... The thing with numbers as well, right, Libby, is like then you, you've got data and data is very predictable and doesn't lie. So it's like, I know if I make, if you make, I don't know, you post like three times a day or something, it looks like. Five. So five, okay. So you're like, well, you know, I, I'm assuming everything you do is for a reason. And this is what really is part of the evolution and the growth of someone who runs a business. You start to see like people are doing things with purpose. So I see Libby posting all the time. She's not just, not just random like you probably calculated well if i post five times uh, a day that's 35 times a week with 35 times weeks i can have x amount of conversations with people i can book x amount of calls i know that this many people will show up to the call i know that you know and so that's then it's predictable because it, it is we've it's like statistical significance in studies we know like a significant amount of data then you know you eliminate chance that's what statistical significance is. So it's, it works like that. You, with enough numbers, you eliminate chance. If you actually do these steps, the results will follow as long as you're following a set process. Uh, and so that's how I would be planning my, my year. That's great. And before we hop, who keeps you accountable for that? Do you have a team, friends, coach, network? Like Because those are some lofty goals that include, would you say 17 or something deeper? however many team members you have, because your goals have to include other people. So that that's quite a bit of strategy. So how do you practically get that done? So just be accountable to just show up and sort of. To, to set the strategic quarterly goals. Yeah. Cause that's higher level than just showing up mm. every day and meeting with your team for 15 minutes or whatever a week. Yeah. You know, now obviously I have a team to look after and stuff. So there's, so there's that. Um, which is fun, obviously, super fun to provide jobs and stuff. But that keeps me like, okay, we need to keep growing because I want them to grow with the role. I want to be able to pay them more. I want, you know, everyone wins that way. Yeah. So there's that, but that's absolutely not where it starts. What keeps you accountable in the start? Pay, pay money. If you, those who don't, those who pay, pay attention is like the kind of the saying, right? Only those who pay will pay attention. And think about like, why do your, as a dietitian, what's, what's effective about high ticket? And one of the main things for me was like, well, if you sell people individual consults, the chances are they buy one or two and then they disappear. Well, now if they bought 10, are they more likely to come to 10 than if they bought 10 individual consults? Yes. Why? What's the difference? There's one difference. They paid everything first. So now they have value to, to lose, so to speak. So that's what I do with clients because it increases their buy-in. So they're actually going to show up and they're more likely to stick to a process uh, and because they're accountable. 
I love it, Joe. We're, we're on the same page. This has been an incredible interview. I could just talk to you all day. No, oh, I, I feel that this has been really comprehensive. I feel that you've shared a lot of great tips and experiences. So maybe you could just remind people where to find you on social and then we'll wrap up. Joe, Joe underscore Leach on Instagram, my Facebook page, my website there. If you want to like email, you can contact there if you've got questions. For me, you know, we're always, we're growing. So we, we do hire dietitians probably, well, this year it was twice, but hopefully more in the future. So if you are interested in that, you know, perhaps, you know, you like the dietetics, but the business stuff is just, I don't know, it's its not what you want to do. Like I've definitely hired one of the dietitians on my team. She, she loves the consulting and stuff and she just hates marketing. It's just not her, her jam. Then it's like, hey, but if you still want the freedom to work wherever, be part of a growing team and actually be valued and actually do work with where the client's, are going to listen to what you say and actually want your help and they're not just in a hospital bed with nowhere to run, then, you know, contact me or look out for uh, job applications that I will post on my socials and stuff. So probably just like follow my Instagram. I always post uh, the job ads there and things like that. Fantastic. All right. And we are going to wrap. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. If you identify as a female dietitian or student, apply to my coaching program. I'm accepting applications now. My clients go from zero to exceeding their sales goals. I save you time, energy, and I show you how to confidently become a dietitian boss. Thousands of your colleagues from around the world are doing it, and so can you. Apply on my website at LibbyRothschild.com and check the show notes if you want that link right away.